Jesus' name, amen. As you're being seated, find Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we will read verses 1 through 20. Luke 2, 1 through 20. I was looking back at some of my old notes, noticing that um, during the Christmas season, I've preached Matthew 1, I've preached uh, Galatians 4, I've preached um, even one of the Old Testament passages that points to the uh, um, birth of Christ, but couldn't, wasn't really sure about Luke 2, which is, of course, a very famous passage. Someone told me last week, Make sure on Christmas you read Luke chapter 2. And I was like, well, I'm probably going to do that. And so it kind of worked out as I began to read through and study through to pick this passage for this morning. So Luke 2, if you found verse 1, let me know by saying word. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. 
And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I want to go back and dive through some of this um, text and give us five things that I want us to see here. Five things for us to see as we have this Christmas Eve sermon from Luke chapter 2. The first thing will come from the first few verses. You'll notice, and we've heard this before, but just by way of review, you'll notice that in these days, the emperor of Rome, the emperor Augustus, declared that there would be this taxing. And the way they would be taxed is they would come back to their hometown, they would be, take part in a census, and then, of course, they would be forced to pay their, their taxes. And so when this happened, when he made this, when Augustus made this decree, verse 3 says everyone went back to their own city. And so we understand this is why Joseph and Mary ended up in this little town of Bethlehem because they were going home to be taxed and to be a part of this census and this taxing. But the thing I want you to see about it is I want you to see the sovereignty of God in all things. Was the primary factor in their going to Bethlehem the fact that they had to go pay taxes? That was a part of it, right? thing that God used, right? But the primary deciding factor in Jesus being born in Bethlehem was not some emperor, but it was God. And we see the sovereignty of God. As a matter of fact, in, in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you were small among the tribes of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So we see this prophesying of Christ coming from Bethlehem. Again, I'm reminded of the scripture I read to you earlier from Galatians, which says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent his son. And so when I say that we see the sovereignty of God in all things, including the birth of Christ, I can, we can say it this way. The place Christ was born was chosen by God. The time Christ was born was chosen by God. Again, it was critical. He had to go to Bethlehem to be born. Joseph had to take Mary there to fulfill Scripture and to fulfill God's ultimate plan and purpose. And I think about this. You think about some of the people who would eventually persecute Christ and hate Christ. Isn't it interesting how God can take even the most evil and use them for his own purposes? That's what he does, right? Think about the Old Testament. Think about Pharaoh, right? Holding God's people. What did God say about Pharaoh? I've raised you up for such a purpose as this. Think about even Judas Iscariot, this man who would betray Christ. Ultimately, only could do what he did because God had ordained that for his life. Now, did he make bad choices? Yes, right? But God's sovereignty ruled. And that applies for every single thing. And so why not even mention that this morning as I, as I look at that in this text and see that God had all this laid out, God had all this planned. I want to remind you at the end of 2023 and heading toward 2024, whatever you've gone through and whatever you go through, 
trust the sovereignty of God in all things. We know that God works all things together for good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. And so we trust him because he is sovereign. The second point I want you to see is, I want you to see the humility of Christ's life. See the humility of his life from beginning to end. So I mentioned the birthplace, and so you think about this, Bethlehem, according to Micah, small town, not, not well known, not going to be born in, in the city of Jerusalem, but go to Bethlehem. It's kind of like um, when you live somewhere, you live in a small area, and people say, where, where do you live? Um, so for years, we lived in a town called Ingemar, and anytime we ask people, or people ask, where do you live? Well, we, we would not say Ingemar, we would say New Albany. Or, if it was people from far away, we would say, we're an hour south of Memphis, <laughs> to try to give people a, a reference, right? You, you give them a point of reference. Bethlehem would be like that small town, you'd be like, it's, it's over here, right? It, it's a small town, it's, it's not significant on its own. It's not special, it's not honorable. And so notice the humility of Christ's life in his birthplace. Notice the humility of his life in his parents. Except for the fact that God chose Joseph and Mary, there was nothing great about them. Except for the fact that God chose them for this mission. Think about his actual birth as we've sang about and read about. And we don't know for sure. Maybe it was a stable. Maybe it was a cave. Maybe it was out behind an inn. We know there was no room for him in the inn. Whatever it was, it was not a... a a pretty sight, and there was a manger there which animals would feed out of, a trough, right, they would feed out of, and so we can assume there may have been animals around, and so it's not a, not the penthouse suite at the nicest hospital in Bethlehem, right, where Christ was born. And then it says this, there was no room for them. Verse, verse 7, there was no room for them in the end. And to me, that, that is a little bit of foreshadowing of what the humility of Christ's life would be like. In that many, many people he would go and speak to and help, for them, there would not, there would not be room for them for Christ. They would reject Christ, is what I'm saying. And so see the humility of his birth, and let that remind us of the humility of his life. Philippians 2 said that Christ did not regard, regard equality, with, equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. The point is that God, that Christ humbled himself, lowered himself by becoming a, a man. And as becoming a man, we know, and we heard it already earlier, that he was able as a man to suffer. And he had to suffer for us. And he was able as a man to die and he had to die for sinners like us see the humility of christ's life when we see a manger scene when we see a christmas movie or a beautiful christmas light display it's it's kind of a nice upbeat thing right we drove by some christmas lights last night and there's some upbeat music playing and and there's all kind of crazy things in the middle of it is a tiny little manger scene and you have to kind of we were trying to struggle to find the manger scene, and you can see this little manger scene sitting there in the midst of all this cartoons and stuff. And it's fun. It's like good music and things moving around, flashing. 
But when Christ was born, it was not flashy. It was a humble birth. The third point I want you to see as we move to verse 8, and this is, um, I guess, the part that really struck me this week, is see the grace of God in his choosing the shepherds. So in verse 8 it says, In the same country there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch. And many believe these shepherds were probably watching animals that would be used for temple sacrifices. And they're out there at night, um, no matter what the weather is, they're out there with these, these animals, these sheep, and they're shepherding. And, and, you know, we think about shepherds as a good thing in the Bible. We think about David, who was a shepherd boy and became king. We think about Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. We even think about Jesus' own words when he said, I am the, what, good shepherd. But when Jesus was born around this time, shepherds were actually despised. Shepherds were often uh, poor. They were often considered ceremonially unclean because of their work. As a matter of fact, I read some, um, some scholars about this time of, of um, shepherds in this time that said they were not trustworthy workers. Said Many shepherds in those days would say if, if somebody's sheep wandered into their flock, all of a sudden those sheep are now theirs. <laughs> Finders, keepers kind of deal. So th some of these shepherds were not trustworthy. As a matter of fact, when they would have court situations or things of that nature, they would not be trustworthy witnesses. So in Jesus' day, many shepherds would look down upon. So look at verse 8 and 9. Who was the birth of Christ announced to? Was it announced to chief priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, the rich, the smart, the popular, the famous. No, no, and no. It was announced to shepherds. As the angel of the Lord, verse 9, shows up and makes this announcement. Look at verse 8 and following. And someone tell me, what were the names of the shepherds? Do you see it? You don't, do you? There are no names. Think about this. The announcement of Christ's birth was made to men who we have no idea and none in history have known, right, who these people are, their names. And, they were, and it was announced to them the one whose name would be above every other name. See the grace of God as he chooses these men to hear the good news. Normally in these days, the prince, a birth of a prince or some kind of dignitary would be a big celebration, a big festival among the rich, the famous, the popular, the royalty. And yet the angel were sent, the angels were sent to these shepherds. These outcasts see God's grace and his favor toward those who could not ever merit his favor. In this sense, I hope you're already catching what I'm throwing out there, the shepherds are very resembling of us, all right? For most of us, the most of the world would say, we're not the most spiritual, we're not the greatest, we're not the most famous, we're not the most wealthy, we're not this or that, and yet we are in desperate need of God's grace and if you know Christ this morning, then you know that grace. I'm reminded of James chapter 2, verse 5. 
where he says, Has not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love them? Whatever you might be lacking right now, and it might feel like a lot at Christmas sometimes because life is crazy, whatever you might be lacking, understand whatever you are lacking does not stop God from sending his grace to you. Don't feel like you are a failure. Listen to me, Christian. Don't feel like a failure because you can't get everything done this Christmas or because this year hasn't gone the way you wanted it to go in some ways. Don't feel like a failure because maybe you don't have everything together. I guarantee these shepherds did not have everything together. But here's one thing I think we see throughout Scripture, and we see it in this very passage, that God works best through people who don't have it all together. God works best through people who do not have it all together. Abraham, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. I mean, we could just name them all, right? The Apostle Paul, all the disciples, and us. God works through his people, even when we don't have it all together. And I think he does that because at some point we say, Lord, I don't have it all together. Help me. And we begin to rely on his strength and his grace to work in our lives. In these shepherds, we see that God is gracious to people despite earthly status. So a um, side note here is when we move to a new year coming up soon, I would encourage all of us to worry less about wor worldly, earthly status and just worry about what's God want me to do, who does God want me to be. Point number four, notice the message that these shepherds were given. And in so you're going to see the gospel of God in sending his son. This is verses 9 through 11. So the angels show up to the shepherds. As you can imagine, the shepherds, the angel shows up. It says they're very afraid, they're terrified. By the way, notice in Scripture when the angel shows up, the people that see them almost always fall their face and they're terrified. That's why angels always say, fear not, because they can tell the people are uh, very afraid. Because the angel shows up, but then in verse 10 says, don't be afraid. I'll bring you good tidings of great, great joy, which shall be to all people. This angel's coming to preach the good news. And in verse 11, he gives the very clear statement, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let me give you a, haven't done this in a while, a J.C. Ryle quote from this passage about verse 10 and 11. He said, We need not wonder at these words, the spiritual darkness which had covered the earth for 4,000 years was about to be rolled away. The way to pardon and peace with God was about to be thrown open to all mankind. The head of Satan was about to be crushed. Liberty was about to be proclaimed to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. The mighty truth was about to be proclaimed that God could be just and yet for Christ's sake justify the ungodly. 
Salvation was no longer to be seen through types and figures, but openly and face to face. The knowledge of God was no longer to be confined to the Jews, but to be offered to the whole Gentile world. The days of heathenism were numbered. The first stone of God's kingdom was about to be set up. If this was not good tidings, there never were tidings that deserved the name. See the gospel of God in him sending his son. My final point, number five. As we move through the rest of this passage, the angels, the angel speaks, tells them there will be a child who's born. He's the Savior. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. Verse 13, all of a sudden there's this heavenly host, which is a military term. It's a band of soldiers basically praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And through all this time of just amazing praise and worship of God, as that kind of moves off, look at the response of the shepherds. It says in verse 15, Let us go to Bethlehem and let us see what has come to pass. Notice a couple things here that kind of stands out. How long do you think these shepherds waited before they went to Bethlehem? Two weeks? Two months? Two years? I take this to mean they went immediately. Their obedience is evident. Let us now go. And see this thing which has come to pass. Let us go. It's, it's time to go. And so you see the response to Christ is an immediate response. And this reminds me of all of us who might be dealing with something in life. And, and you think, well, I'll just put off that thing I need to do for Christ until later. Or I'll, I'll wait and get, the, get my life right later. When Christ would say to us, turn to me now. Obey me now, love me now, serve me now, follow me now. The Christian faith is not a wait and do it later faith, is it? It is a, when God says do it, we should do it faith. And God calls us to those things, and I would even argue he, he demands that we follow him in that way. As our king and we his servants. But these shepherds show us this and that they immediately go. But notice three specific things here about their response. The first one is they saw Christ. So verse 16 says they came with haste. Again, they hurried there. They found Mary and Joseph, and they found the babe lying in a manger. They saw the Savior. The right response to Christ is to look to Christ with belief. The right response to Christ is to say, I know that that baby that was born that we celebrate on Christmas grew up, lived a perfect life, died for my sins, and I see the truth that I'm a sinner and I need that Christ, that Savior, as my Savior. That's what it means to see Jesus. Not with 
physical eyes, but with the eyes of your heart, to see him in truth, to see him as he is. These men saw a baby, and the knowledge they had about that baby from those angels, we come this morning and we see Christ as what the scripture says he is, right? We don't see him as what the world tells us he is, or even what we imagine he is. We see him as who the Bible says he is, and the Bible tells us everything we need to know about Christ. He is eternal, isn't he? He has always existed. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus Christ is eternal. He did not just begin in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He has always existed. That's the Christ we're talking about, an eternal Christ. He is fully God. 100% fully God. That's the Christ we're talking about. Because only God could do what he did to save us from our sins. He's also 100% man. And that he came and took on flesh and dwelt among us. And he had to take on flesh so that he could suffer, so that he could sympathize with us, and so that he could ultimately die for us. So they came and saw the baby, and they had some knowledge that he was um, the Savior according to the angels. But we see Christ with the fullness of the truth of what the Scripture says about him. May we see and may we believe in that Christ this morning. The next thing they did is they shared. Verse 17 and 18, when they seen it, when they seen this whole situation, they began to tell people right then. They began to tell people, well, the angels came, an angel came and spoke to us, and here's what he said, and here's what we saw. And they began to proclaim all that they knew about this Christ and what they'd been told. It says Mary kind of pondered these things in her heart, doesn't it? But the, the, the shepherds did not just ponder these things, they proclaim these things it reminds me of this have you ever seen a person and i've seen this a few times who comes to christ and they're saved they 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 receive christ they become a christian and that very day they start telling other people about their testimony or how they became a christian because when we become christians a part of being a follower of christ is we want other people to have what we have that relationship with god through christ these people, these shepherds were excited to speak about the Savior. And so let me just remind us that as Christians, we're not called to just come every week and see Christ through the Scripture and through the worship, but we're called to share Him with family and friends and others. And people out there need Christ. They need Christ. We went shopping this weekend, and um, just a real quick version of this, but we're sitting in a restaurant, and I look, I'm talking to a guy on this side, I didn't know the guy, he's talking to a stranger, I look over, and Jesse's praying with a lady who's going through a difficult time, of course, I was like, you know, I know what to do, <laughs> I just start praying too, and so, literally, she says amen, and like less than a minute later, I'm talking to this other person, this other person over here, and find out this person is related to the, the older gentleman who went missing last year in Boonville or Corinth. Y'all remember that story? He just went for a walk and went missing, and this young lady was related to him. And so able to kind of say, man, I hate that you're going through this, especially this time of year. And, and I'm just trying to have a nice romantic dinner with my wife, and the next thing I know, she's praying, and I'm ministering to this lady over here, and then 
we leave there, we go to Walmart. I literally walk in Walmart trying to get to the restroom. I get cut off by a lady I used to know from years ago. She's with another lady whose house burnt down this week. They lost everything. But in my rush, right, of using the restroom and Christmas shopping, I'm, just, I'm standing there reminded that it doesn't really matter if I get all the gifts I need to get. It doesn't really matter if I get everything done. There are so many people around us who are hurting. And yes, they need prayer. They need maybe some conversation. In that one lady's case, she may need some money because her house had burned down, lost everything, including they had just gotten a bunch of cash for Christmas and it was all in the house, burned up. But on top of all that, we know the greatest need that all those people have and the greatest need every one of us has is do we know Christ? Have we seen him as he ought to be seen, as Savior and Lord? And once we do that, we should be focused on the next part as well, which is sharing. Then finally, they savored or glorified. I just needed a third S word. They glorified him. We see this down here in the final verses. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. And I can't read that about their glorifying and praising. I can't read that without kind of contrasting that with my life most of the time or much of the time. And I think to myself, when I leave church or when I leave the word as I read it or when I leave a time of prayer or a time of service, when I leave that, am I leaving God behind and going on doing my own stuff? Am I being ungrateful or just worldly or just not what I need to be? And I see these shepherds, these nobodies who God revealed himself to, who saw him, they shared about him, and as they left, they glorified him. They savored him. They cherished him. And I'm reminded that and encouraged to say, may I at the end of 2023 be more like these shepherds? Ordinary believers like you and me should relate to these guys. And here's why. One simple phrase. Not worthy, but chosen. Every single one of us in here, I don't care if you come from the richest family, the smartest family, the most loving family, the most Christian family. I don't care where we come from. I don't care what we do or how nice we've been to people. I don't care how many people we've prayed with at restaurants or helped who's had financial troubles or done nice things for. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter because ultimately... Not one of us are worthy of Christ. And yet, God has chosen us through his grace. As he did those shepherds. We're not worthy, but we're chosen to hear the good news. We're not worthy, but we're chosen to see Christ clearly. We're not worthy, but we're able to serve him and share about him. We're not, able, but we're not worthy, but we're able to glorify him. Church, we're not worthy. But through Christ. We are able. So I want you to think about that as, as I conclude. If we are honest with ourselves, 
many of us oftentimes feel unfaithful or unworthy. And again, I'm saying we're right. But God who has called us, equips us, and makes us able to do all things he's called us to do. So if that means I need to love my wife better, if that means I need to be better at my job, if that means that means I need to be a better Christian at helping do things at the church, if that means I need to cut some things out of my life, whatever that might mean for us, to understand, yes, we are unworthy, yes, at times we are unfaithful, but to know that God is always faithful, and He makes us able to do all we need to do. Let's pray.